ahead and get started. Glad to see everybody that's with us this evening. Uh, and I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to open up in a word of prayer. And uh, I'm going to mention this twice because uh, there's some folks that are going to come in a little bit later that, uh, that they're going to want to uh, hear it uh, as well. Uh, so uh, our, uh, our longest serving general director was Rex McPherson. Uh, and uh, he was also the second missionary to serve with the Gospel Preacher Association in Wales, and we love Rex and Jessica, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, they wish they could be here. Uh, but we got, we got some sad news today about Rex. Uh, I know a lot of you have heard about the possibility of them doing some special treatments and then maybe doing uh, surgery uh, with an implant to try to uh, increase uh, his cognitive abilities, uh, but uh, as of today, uh, those plans have been withdrawn and they've called in hospice for Brother Rex uh, starting today. So I just wanted to let you know that. Uh, we love Rex so much, and uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, Helen conversed with uh, Jessica, and the only thing I could tell Jessica was that, you know, I, I, I don't even have any words. I, uh, we've known Rex so long, and uh, Rex and Jessica have been a part of our life since, since before Helen and I were even married. The very first revival we did after I got married to Helen, Rex did it. The first revival I did after Helen and I got married, I did it for Rex. And uh, when we were here in the States, and he was pastoring in Kentucky, and I was pastoring in Virginia, uh, we couldn't afford anybody else. So uh, we used each other. He always preached my revival, and I always preached his for years. And that's where we learned about Coca-Cola chicken <laughs> and uh, preached my first tent meeting for Brother Rex. And uh, I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. So we're praying for him. We're lifting him up. And I know you're praying, too, and I know we're going to miss him. Uh, but we're going to pray for Jessica and for Christine that God gives them all the grace that they need uh, and the congregation at uh, Galilean uh, he was before this pastor he was the last pastor they had for many years and so we, uh, we, we, we're going to miss him Jason I want you to come around to the platform and lead us in prayer this, uh, this evening uh, I always like to call on Jason when I don't know what to do <laughs> he's my uh, you know, you need somebody like that, amen? Uh, and uh, Jason, I'm sure he has no idea how much he means to me and my family. We love him more than we can say, and his family has just been a great blessing to us. And in just about a month or so, we will be voting him in as a deacon. He's been serving for a year. Uh, as long as you didn't mess up anything. <laughs> it's like a, like uh, like uh, Ronnie Bearfield said. We're going to take every missionary on here. Well, unless you do something stupid, <laughs> so don't do nothing stupid, missionaries, and you'll get put on. Uh, so, but anyway, love you. Yeah, Lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to be in your house, Lord. We pray that. Uh, we wouldn't take that lightly, Lord, and we think of those yes. who are unable to be in your house, God, and we pray that you would be with those, that you would be near to them, that you'd speak peace to them, yes, comfort. Dear Lord, we pray. Lord, we do want to uh, think of those that have made it this way and the works that they have 
left in the care of others, Lord. We pray that you have renewed them, given them strength, Lord, yes. Yes. and Lord, that they would find that that they need here tonight, Lord, and for each Christian, Lord, and those who might not uh, know you as their Savior, Lord, that tonight would be the yes. night, Lord, that uh, things are different after yes. this night and uh, strengthened and encouraged, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Page 190. 190, everybody stand. Thank you. Come, thou fount of every blessing. something boy that's a great song we really take these songs for granted the word Ebenezer is in that song and I know that brother Moore pastored Ebenezer uh well I did too Ebenezer uh up in Mackin and they, yeah so uh we we both know about that and uh and then I love that um uh that third verse uh oh to grace how great a debtor <laughs> daily I'm constrained to be and then he says let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee and then he tells the truth we don't like some of them have even taken it out of the song but it's the truth and it belongs there prone to wonder lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love here's my heart oh take and seal it seal it for thy courts above what a glorious song and we kind of sing it, uh, we've heard it a million times, you know, but it's, uh, it's, it's still got a lot of good in it, you know, and we praise the Lord for that. Well, Fernando Maldonado is uh, working at the Victory Baptist Church and the Christian school uh, there in uh, Comiagua and uh, Honduras, 
and uh, he's been doing a marvelous job. He's been doing a great deal, uh, well, almost all of the teaching, a great deal of, uh, not, not, he doesn't teach every class in the school. We got 375 students in the school. So he doesn't teach every class, but he teaches in the school, but he does a lot of the teaching for the church, and uh, more and more he's doing the preaching uh, as Arvel finds it uh, more difficult as he goes along, because you know Arvel's 209 years old. Those of you who know Arvel, you know that. Uh, and there's not a one of us that met him before he was 100. And so, <laughs> but we love Arvel. But Arvel is beginning uh, to uh, have difficulty. As a matter of fact, I wanted him to come up with Brother Fernando at this time. And uh, he told me that he didn't think he'd be able to make another trip to the States. That uh, he probably would just have to stay in Honduras for the rest of his life. So uh, Fernando has a lot of lot on his shoulders. He's got a lot to, uh, a lot of responsibility, uh, and uh, and from Arvel's uh, testimony, he's doing a great job. And we'll be there next year in June uh, to visit that work again uh, and be there about ten or twelve days. And we're really looking forward to it. But I want uh, I want Fernando to come and take about five minutes and tell about his work. Uh, and uh, and let you know where he is uh, uh, in that work. But he he was born and raised in Honduras, so uh, he's not had the opportunities uh, of deputation that uh, those who are in the states have. So I want you to really pray for him that the Lord would make this uh, this trip up here uh, profitable to him uh, in more than one way. So Fernando, you come on around. Good evening. It's a very blessing for me to be here for my second time now. So I know a few of you. It's a blessing for my life. I'm going to share a few words um, of my life, of my testimony in those five minutes. As the youngest son of a single mother, I must admit that God has manifested himself in many wonderful ways in my life. Since the age of five, I've always attended a Baptist church whose pastor has always been an American missionary, where I found great examples to follow and people from whom I have been able to learn mostly from my Sunday school teachers and also from my pastors, shaping my character and personality. When I got saved and, got, and then baptized, I knew that what I wanted to do was to serve God in every possible way. But first, I had to attend faithfully, sure to learn what a good Christian needs to know to grow in faith and knowledge of the Lord. That was not difficult for me since I've always liked to go to the church and participate in as many activities as possible, with my mother's permission, of course. Now, as a new member of GPA, I've enjoyed this fellowship the teaching, the lessons, and the opportunity to grow up in the ways of the Lord. Amen. One day, the church pastor resigned and gave it to a pastor who had just founded his own church a short time ago. This pastor came with his wife from Costa Rica after serving for 20 years. His name is Arbor Smith. A few years later, his wife died of cancer, and after church, after much prayer, God put in his heart to marry my mother. 
an experienced educator that many of you know. Um, his na her name is Miriam Zulema uh, Espinosa, with whom he would start a Christian school initially founded to care for the children or the orphanage found, he founded after seeing children suffering due to the effects of Hurricane Mitch in 1998. Since they got married 20 years ago, this November, God has worked in a very special way in my life and in the ministry, of course. It has been a great blessing for me to be able to serve God alongside him who has served at Mission Field for more than 40 years, which is short to say, but are 40 years for the Lord. God has blessed the ministry in so many ways since he married my mom. So one day, 11 years ago, I decided to quit my job as an IT manager in a company with coverage throughout Honduras, my home country, in order to spend more time in the ministry and to be able to be, to be a better servant of the Lord. In the end, I think I can say that uh, as Mary, Martha's sister, I have chosen the good part. I love this. The time to think about the successor of Pastor Arthur Smith in the ministry has arrived. And after having discussed it with him about to be part of a GPA as a missionary and praying faithfully, here I am learning how to serve better to the mission field. And I look forward to seeing what God has prepared for me in the years to come. Praise the Lord. I'm here to serve. God bless you all. And thank you, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, Thank Brother you. Fernando. Thank God you. bless you. Yeah. So when he was just talking about uh, Arville, I thought, great day. Uh, we, we, uh, we make fun of the fact that he looks so old. <laughs> Let's just be honest. And, and, he's, and he's so wiry, he probably don't weigh 95 pounds. But he's a giant of the faith. I mean, he, he really is. Uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Duval said one night at the Deacons meeting, he said, are we going to take on Arville Smith? And I said, Ronnie, if you, you're welcome to bring it up. You know how it works around here in Nottingham, but bring it up in the business meeting. He said, well, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think if there's ever been a real missionary, if there's ever been a real missionary, it's Arville Smith. And I can tell you, been faithful in Central America for over 40 years, told me on the phone, I'm not coming back to the States. <laughs> He's going to die on the battlefield. Amen. What a giant of the faith. What a man of God. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. You give tonight as the Lord directs. Whatever you give goes to help us in this meeting. And uh, what a great meeting we've had. I'm telling you, some of the best preaching and great singing all week and looking forward to what we'll have tonight. Uh, and, uh, and then tomorrow night, uh, Dynamite arrives, Joe Arthur comes, and uh, he's almost as wound, wound as tight as Clement. Not, not quite, but almost. And then Ronnie Bearfield, 
the funniest man in the pulpit. And uh, so we're, we're looking for a great time. And the Rochesters and the Sampson family. So uh, my goodness, we're going to have a great time tonight, tomorrow night, and Friday night. I don't want you to miss any of it. One more day of classes uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, and then, uh, by the way, the board meeting is at 2 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Bill, would you ask God's blessing on the offering? Yes, yes, dear Lord. Amen. Come on up in this last verse. I know I shall see in his He 
All right. So for any of the folks that might have come in since we started, I want to mention again that um, uh, our longest uh, serving general director was Rex McPherson, and uh, he has not been well for a while, and the, today they had to put him on hospice. And so uh, please pray for him and pray, pray for his family and pray for the GPA. We still rely upon uh, uh, Jessica especially uh, to help us in the work and the ministry. Uh, but we've always, always needed Rex's advice uh, and, his, uh, and his insight. And we, uh, we're going to miss it greatly, but remember him in prayer. All right, I don't know what to call this trio. This is the trio. That's what it is. It's the trio. So uh, y'all pray for them as they sing He is. There we go. Pastor uh, called in the last week and asked me if I could put something together. And he said, we'll call it the Roland Trio. I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll find some Rolands. And uh, they all bailed on me. So uh, I'm the solo Roland. So, uh, but we had a couple songs that we had done a couple times. And, uh, um, well, they're probably just used to winging it with me around here anymore. So. That's kind of what we're going to do somewhat. We've done these a couple of times, and, and their songs are they're a blessing to me, I know. So uh, uh, I hope they're a blessing to you. When I started my journey in first childlike trust, I believed that the Lord's way was best. I would read in his word how he mothered the bird and breathe when it fell from its nest. How I felt his delight when I chose to do right and I prayed I would not make him sad. He would breathe all the way in the cool of the day. What a pure, sweet communion we had. Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross more than ever i sit at his feet all the miles of my journey have proved my lord true and he is so precious to me the road i have traveled has sometimes been steep through wild jagged places of life but sometimes i stumbled and fallen so hard that the stones cut my soul like a knife but the staff of my shepherd would reach out for me and lift me to cool pasture the peace i took for granted crumbled suddenly the world forever changed before my eyes somewhere in the rubble of all that used to be a shattered trust and innocence now lies 
But the fear that found me and knocked me to my knees only caused me to draw closer to the Christ who lives in me. So let the winds of terror blow. Let them rage against my soul. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. I will stand and I will fight in the power of God's might. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. For the God of all the universe is my father and my friend, my shelter and protector. He is promised to defend. And because of who he is, I am brave. I refuse to be afraid. Sifting through the ashes of all my broken dreams, the things I love now scattered on the ground. I cry to God for answers. Oh, tell me what it means. But there within the ruins I have found that the only thing that matters, the only thing that stays is my faith in God Almighty that no fear can take away. So let the winds of terror blow. Let them rage against my soul. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. I will stand and I will fight in the power of God's might. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. For the God of all the universe is my father and my friend, my shelter and protector. He is promised to defend. And because of who he is, I am brave. I will stand and I will fight in the power of God's might. I refuse, I refuse to be afraid. For the God of all the universe is my father and my friend.
Amen. Now, Dr. Ed Moore is not technically related to us, uh, that, not that we know of, uh, but my dad always said that uh, Dr. Ed Moore was his grandpa. And, <laughs> but I will tell you this, uh, every time he opens the Word of God, it's, 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 something, it's something that you're, it will stick with you. 
He's, he's, he's got that ability uh, to bring something out of the Word of God in a very unique and powerful way. And I've been looking forward to hearing him preach all week. So, Brother Moore, you come right Thanks, on around sir. and preach. God bless you. I'll tell you what, if we're taking a vote tonight, the, war, the Moors have it. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the nice room and the good meals. Appreciated the services and the good meals. I appreciated the good. Did I mention I met? I've really enjoyed the good meals. Thank you, ladies, so much. I, y'all put a lot of work and into that, and I appreciate it. And uh, I know your pastor does. I'd like for you to turn tonight to Second Samuel chapter number eleven. I'm going to read several verses. Then I'm going to ask some questions. If you fail the test, I don't know what you'll have to do. But uh, any verse number one, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, and David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in an evening time that David uh, arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came, un- uh, and she came unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned unto her home. And the woman conceived and uh, sent and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when David was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and uh, how the war prospered. And David said unto Uriah, Go down to thy house, wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him uh, uh, and of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And they went, and he went not down unto his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Comest thou from thy, um, comest thou uh, from thy? Uh, they told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house. And David said unto Uriah, Comest thou not from? thy journey, why then didst thou not go down unto thy house? Uriah said unto David the ark, and Israel, 
and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go down to mine house and eat and to drink, lie with my wife? As thou livest, as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. And David said unto Uriah, Tomorrow, or tarry here uh, today and tomorrow, and I will uh, let they depart and Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him uh, uh, drunk, and even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, and he went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter unto Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, and he wrote in the letter saying that uh, set uh, Uriah at the forefront of the battle and retire you from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city and uh, he assigned Uriah unto the place where, valiant, uh, where he knew valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. There fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. If you will, drop down to verses number 26 and 27. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her unto his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I want to ask you, what's this chapter, what, what I read you, what's it about? You're probably going to say it's about David's great sin. Well, it contains David's great sin, but what's it really about? You know, we, we like to fellowship around failure and pain. We don't like to talk about the victories all the time, and there's two men in this chapter. One of them is by the name of uh, David. David is mentioned 23 times, and 17 of those times is in direct reference to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is mentioned 25 times in this chapter. And I want to ask you this question. Why do I need to know this? You take it. You could just said David committed adultery. That's all you needed to know. But it gives the sordid detail. And I think, why is it here? If you ever stopped it. Look at Genesis chapter number 38, and every time I read it, I say, why in the world Genesis 38 here? It ain't supposed to be here. It don't fit here. Because in chapter 37, uh, it's talking about Joseph. Verse 39, talking about Joseph. Verse 38, it's talking about Judah and his great sin, one of the weirdest chapters in the Bible. 
And I say, why is that there? And there are many other places that I look. Now, I know y'all got everything together, and you don't ever do anything like that. But uh, I do. I wonder, why, why did I need to know Rahab was a harlot? You say, well, 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 you just need, why did I need to know? And then some people say, well, that harlot there meant that she was a hostess. I don't know, but I know God put it there. So why is God telling us this story? You can say he's telling a story about a great failure. David was a great failure. Some of you men probably have bought a diamond ring for your wife. If you hadn't, you need to go out tomorrow and do it. It'll be a blessing to her. And if you go out to buy the diamond ring, nine times out of ten, they're going to lay it on something black. You know why they put it on something black? Makes it stand out and sparkle. I want to suggest to you tonight that God used David to be the black backdrop to show us a diamond like's never been sent. And that man was Uriah the Hittite. I like what he said. As you live and as your soul is, I ain't going to, I'm sorry, I will not do it. Where I come from, I ain't going to do that. I ain't about to do it. You say, and as I read the story, I want to say Uriah. Please go down. I've read the end of this story, Uriah. Why don't you go down? You know what? I've seen preachers and missionaries go through things that I wanted to say. Why don't you give up? They ain't never going to work. And they come out the other side stronger and greater and built great works. So what's happening here is fire learning. I want to ask you this question. Why is Uriah there? It keeps saying that he's a Hittite. Every time it mentions the name, it says he's a Hittite, and that means he's not supposed to be in Israel. Why is he fighting in the army? Because he can never possess one piece of land. He can never inherit anything. And so here is a man that is a foreigner, if you will, He's serving in the army and is one of David's great men who will be listed as that later. Why is he there? You have stopped away. I think. <laughs> how did he get here? You say, well, how do you know? The scripture tells Genesis 10, 15, Hittites were the descendants of Heath and they were to be driven out of the land, Joshua 3, 10. And Joshua said, Hereby shall you know the, uh, that the living God is among you and that he will without uh, fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and, and the Jebusites, and the otherites. Get them out of the land. Why did he say that? It's a good lesson for you. You can't live around false religion and it not affect you and it not affect your society and we're learning that lesson really well right now. So he said, you, you think you're strong enough to handle it? No, 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 get them out of the land. You, you, you can't take that. 
Now, I want to give you what I think happened. Well, I know this happened. You have a man that had no reason to be a success. He had no reason to make it good, and he becomes the cream of the crop. And you had a king that had every reason to succeed, and he drops the ball. And it was a terrible thing for him. So what is the lesson here? Number one, Uriah was unsuspecting. He never thought David would do anything like that. You know, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a little backward and a little dumb. I'd never been, I've been to church all my life. I went to church nine months before I was born. But the thing about it was, I just went to church. You know what I'm talking about? I went to church. I heard the preaching. I heard them people, I saw them waving and I saw them shouting. And when God called me to preach, I never dreamed that those hand-waving, shouting people would hurt me. Y'all with me? But you know what I found out? Them fellas cut your throat and then go to church and shout. <laughs> David come before the king. He's serving him with everything he can serve him with. Now this is how I think he got there. Now you may disagree with this. Anything is not scripture you can disagree with, but I think this is what happened. Israel never sent out missionaries, but God put them on a trade route. And people kept coming through there. And when they come through there, when Israel was worshiping like they should worship, they saw them in their worship. And I believe that Uriah the Hittite came through there. And as he came through, he began to see the reality of the worship of the Israelites. And he said, that's it. He is the true and living God. And with everything in me, I'm going to serve the true and living God because I have found it and I'm following him. That was his amen. You said, was he baptized? Did he repent? Did he do this? I don't know what he did, but whatever he did was right because it put him right. We have formulas for everything, but you get right the best way you can. If you get right, you'll be right with God and you'll do right for God. So he comes through there and he, uh, he's, just doing, he's just doing his job. He's fighting on the field. I mean, he's not out looking uh, for great rewards. And put it this way, he's taking care of business. Uh, a lot of people found it. Naboth had a vineyard. He never thought the king would hurt him. King said, I want you vengeance. He says, My inheritance can't do it. Naboth did what any self respecting husband would do. He went and told his wife to get it for him. And she did. Oh, he wasn't expecting that. 
This is what I want to tell you. There's going to be times in your Christian experience that you get blindsided. You never saw it coming. And you certainly did not see it coming from the person it came from. That don't mean God's mad at you. It simply means you doing what you're supposed to be doing and they do not like it. I mean, if I had done all of the things that I had, have been accused of doing, I wouldn't even go hear myself preach. I mean, really? You know, oh, this, oh, that, oh, the other. You say, well, you ever thought about quitting? No, but I'm like Winston Churchill. He said about one of his enemies, he said, I shall never kill him. But if I read his obituary in the paper in the morning, I'd be most pleased. <laughs> there are many. Esther. Esther was just doing it. Who knows for what you've come to a kingdom for such a time as this? Job. Job's minding his own business. And you have to understand, God turns Satan loose. Teaches us. Can't anything get you that God does not permit? Matthew, Peter, and others... God just reached out and got them. And uh, then Luke says this, If any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother, his wife and his children and his brother and his sisters and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That verse gives me a fit. Some say it means you love less. You love them less than you love the Lord. I don't know. But I know there's a principle there. Now, you can be saved maybe and not have much to do with that verse. But if you're going to be a disciple, which means a learner, you're going to have to put the Lord Jesus Christ first. And if there's ever been a man in the Bible that put his faith first, it's this man, Uriah the Hittite. And there is absolutely no give in him. I mean... I admire the man. I want you to notice his steadfastness. Look at uh, verses 8 through 11. And uh, verse 8, David said to Uriah, Go down to the house and wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of his house, and there followed a mess of meat uh, from the king. But he laid down like a dog at the king's door. And the scripture said, you need to count sometimes how many times it says, and he went not down, and he went not down. You know what, you know, you know, you, do you know the problem? The problem is this. David's got a monkey on his back, and he don't know how to get rid of that monkey. I can tell you how he could have got rid of the monkey like that. Tell the truth. But that's not happening. And so now what's he got to do? He's got to blame somebody else. I, I get him home. All he's got to do is go home. I'll buy him a steak dinner. I'll furnish the charcoal. I'll do anything to get him home. Everybody's saying, go. I ain't going. You want me to take a three-day pass in the heat of the battle? It's not going to happen, man. David should have said, great news. Praise God, you in the battle. 
but it was like a dagger in his heart. He won't go down. What is wrong with this guy? Finally, he gets him drunk. And Uriah had more sense drunk than David did sober. He said, I ain't going. I ain't a going. And David's one motive in life for anything, I want to get him home. I, I look what he said in these verses. He says that there are some things out of place. Number one, the ark's out of place. We relate to the ark as being the presence of the Lord, so basically what he's saying, the Lord's out of place. And you want me to quit the battle? He said, Israel, that's God's people. They encamp, they out of place. And you want me to say, listen to me, friend. It's no place for us. Just because things are bad around us to think about taking a hiatus from preaching the word of God and from trying to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Israel's out there, they encamp. Don't talk to me about going home. Don't talk to me about a holiday. He said, my Lord Joab, my commanding officer. How can I forsake my commanding officer? You know when people come, uh, forsake their commanding officer in churches? When he preaches what they don't like. When he does things they don't like. And I don't believe God lives. I don't believe God's in that. Well, if God's not in it, why don't you let God take care of it instead of you trying to run God's business? I didn't mean to say that, but I did. Then the servants of the Lord, then camped in field. And asked me, why, in that situation, shall I go down to my house, eat and drink and sleep with my, my wife? It's not going to happen. Can you imagine David's frustration? And I got to get this guy to go home. I, I, I really got to get him going. If he goes home for an hour, I mean, hey, nothing wrong with him going home. You understand that, don't you? Oh, it's not a sin for him to go home. It's not going to hurt his relationship with the Lord. But he's standing on his faith that in the heat of the battle, he's not going to take a three-day pass. When do people deflect? I've often wondered about the language of the church. Have you ever noticed this? People are getting saved. Everything's going good. The money's good. And everybody, look at what we're doing down at the church. Man, we're doing all of this stuff down at the church. Praise God for that. Then it gets tough. Money may get short. Maybe an argument in church. And them same people are saying, Look what they're doing down to the church. When does the church become what we're doing to what they're doing? You're still a part of the church. You're a member of it. And what Uriah said, man, everything's out of, if I could use this, and you know I know it's not the church, but basically what he's saying, if everything's wrong, how in the world can I take a pass? But in today's society, the way it is, when things get tough, you begin to find out who will stand and who will not stand. 
I, I, I like the, the words. Again, I've called your attention to it. But he says, as thou livest, and as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. It was an unwavering, unwavering commitment that he had. Well, what was the modus operandi? Number one, accuse him. We'll accuse him of this. But in order to accuse him, he had to go home. Anyone go home? Have you ever been accused of things that you didn't do? I like, I like the story of the preacher. He was visiting, and he was going to visit a lady, and he couldn't get in her driveway, and there's a liquor store right next door, and he pulled into the liquor store and went up to her house. And next Sunday, one of the dear ladies of the church went to the dig and said, that pastor drinking. I saw him at the liquor store, and I know he's drinking. So the deacons called the pastor, and he said, I parked in the lot. I went next door and visited one of our church members, and I come back out. I didn't go. She said, no such thing. He wouldn't have parked there if he wasn't in there doing something he wasn't supposed to do. He said, honestly, I, I didn't go in. He, she said, you would not be parked there if you wasn't inside doing what you shouldn't be doing. So they dismissed, and that night he took his car and parked it in her driveway all night. <laughs> so you get accused of things. It's entrapping, you see. And then not only accuse him, but entrap him. Just go home. I mean, it's, nobody else cares. You get one. Nobody else cared. Joab don't care if he goes home. Nobody in the army cares if he goes home. The servants around it, they don't care. One man has got to get him at home because he's the one with a monkey on his back. And there's no meaner person on the face of the earth as a child of God's got a monkey on his back. <laughs> and he can't get rid of it. And in order to try to cover his tracks, he accuses everybody. And it's somebody else's blame, and he didn't have anything to do with it. But he tried to accuse him. Couldn't do it. Tried to entrap him. Go home. Couldn't happen. And the answer. Then he tried to destroy him. I want you to get this picture. You have uh, Uriah and David. As I said earlier, he gets him drunk, tries to get him to go home, and he just will not go home. So I'm going to use this as uh, David writes a letter. I don't know what all was in the letter, but I know that somewhere in that letter, it said, put Uriah in the front of the battle and back off. <clears throat> Here, Uriah, you take it. Because of his faithfulness, he basically signed his own death warrant. And he took that in confidentiality and never opened and delivered his own death warrant 
to his commanding officer. Now, I want you to get this picture. He's giving Joab the death warrant. Can you imagine in your mind Joab says, Oh, Uriah, you really made an impression upon the king. The king wants you to be worth valiant. And what did you do to make such an impression upon the king? You better be careful when people start bragging on you. Amen. Because this man that's bragging on him is going to forsake him in a few minutes. Or well, in a little while. And he takes it. Then he says, man, the king got a lot of confidence in you. I want you to get up here on the front of the battle. And here come the people. And Joab says to those around him, and he stands alone. I see him as he fights and as he fights and as he fights. And suddenly a sword pierces his heart. And he falls backward. And as he falls backward, he says, I went not down. Some went down. David will never be the same. The penitent song will be written. Joab will never be the same. Joab will give David a real problem the rest of the days of his life. And I believe one of the reasons he had control over David is he still had the letter. And he said, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to show this letter. Again, I can't prove it, but I think it. Oh, Bathsheba went there. I don't know. Some say that she didn't have a choice in going and not. I'm not here to argue about that. But I'm saying Bathsheba will never be the same after this. So may I ask you, well, let me give you this first. 1 Kings 15, 5. Listen to what it says. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not uh, aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You got it? A perfect record. Destroyed right here over one thing. There are three categories of people revealed here. David, God's choice servant. He messes up. I think one of the things that we don't understand is, I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care how saved you are, you're saved, you're saved. I understand that, but I don't care how dedicated you are. You better understand you got a weak spot. And you better understand that Satan knows where that weak spot is. And you better understand that every once in a while he's going to punch that weak spot. Just like he did, David. Now, what are you going to do when that happens? You ask me? I don't have a clue. But I do hope... I could resist. And so 
you have David, and he's overcome by lust and willing to commit murder to conceal it. You have Uriah, and all I can say about Uriah is, praise God for you, man. You did good. And you have uh, Bathsheba. Sometimes I want to say Bathsheba. Did you have a choice? Did you have a choice? But how could you go to David after what he did? I don't know. It's not up to me to judge. And I want to say to Joab, Joab, you let a king cause you to commit a murder. And that murder was of a choice servant of God. Hey. I ask myself often, in this picture, which one would I be? Now, as far as I know, I hadn't committed a great sin. And if I had, I'm not going to tell you because you're gossips. <laughs> So as far as I know, I haven't committed a But if I had, would I be man enough to get up and say, folks, I messed up. I need you to forgive me, and I need God to forgive me. David couldn't do that. So if you're going to stand there and tell us you would, I don't know. I haven't been faced with that. I hope I'd have enough grace. But I'd be like Uriah. I say, no matter what comes my way, I'm standing for the God I serve, and there's not an inch of give in me. I hope I would be there. But if I could leave you with one thought, you need to make up your mind what you want to do in those situations because those situations will come knocking on your door sooner or later. Father, I thank you for the night, the opportunity we've had to be here, and I pray you take something that's been said to be a uh, help, a strength, a blessing to the life of the hearer. And as we sing and contemplate the message, I pray that you speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How Searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold. Upon 
sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. But